Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we're going to go through a topic called funerals, all about preaching for funerals. And so often it is the case that when pastors are either preparing the family for the actual service or the sermon, or even with regard to weddings as well, as you are catechizing the bride and the groom for the wedding ceremony, something to the effect of this statement has said, it's not about you. It's not about the person or the people who are getting married. But then that is followed up with trying to keep in mind that it's about what Christ has and is and will do and is doing for them. And so while it is true that it's not about them, they're not the focus of this particular service or this particular sermon, the individual, either the one who has died in Christ or those who are being married in Christ, they're not forgotten. They're not out of the picture. They are front and center uh, as a witness to who Christ is and what he is doing for these people. So today I have as my guest, Pastor Ben Ball. He is the pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, and the second vice president of the LCMS. Uh, welcome back, Ben. Great to be back, Jason. Been too long. It has been. Well, we've been trying to do this for a long time, and and uh, schedules have not permitted. So how do you walk that line? How do you walk the line, at, in particular in preaching for funerals, where we bear witness to the fact that their works do follow them, but uh, it's not about them. It's not a eulogy. We're not just saying good words about them. Yeah, there's a couple things. Uh, first, there's the scripture that testifies to uh, what Christ has done and what he's done in the person that has died and our joy in what God has done for them and then what uh, God did through them and what they actually did. And that's the passage you referenced, uh, Revelation fourteen thirteen. I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, set the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So the passage teaches us that those who die in the Lord, and that, of course, is baptismal language, they, they're in Christ and they're blessed. Uh, they died in him, they lived in him, and the Holy Spirit testifies to this. The work they did, they're now resting from, and the work they did, it follows after them. We see it, we know it, we've uh, experienced it in our own lives as uh, these faithful Christians confessed Christ, did good works, uh, they kept the commandments of God. That's Revelation fourteen twelve, right before that passage. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so we give thanks to God for what he did for them, giving them salvation in the blood of Christ, the true faith in their holy baptism. And then the new life that he gave them, they actually lived out and 
they showed Christ in what they did, what they said. Uh, of course, some of that has to do with how they repented of their sins. They acknowledged it, to be sure. Uh, the people that we really extol sometimes are the most humble people and the servants of Christ that we pastors know uh, so much of their service is hidden from the eyes of men. We get to see it many different ways in the life of a congregation. But their family knows both uh, their trials, but also uh, the great things that God did in, in and through a person. And mm-hmm. we can extol that because the saints are always to be examples for us of a life of godly living. So at a Christian funeral, yes, it is about Christ. It is about the death, resurrection of the Son of God, the baptism which he instituted for that person and for all the world to receive. But it is also about the recipient of the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, That person who's in the casket right there, and then what God did in them, uh, what it means for them in the resurrection to come, but what it meant for that person to live in Christ in the body and what that person did uh, following God's commands, living a life in Christ. And that's what we can extol and give thanks to God for. So what happens when we ignore that reality? What what kind of sermon comes out when we don't think about the recipient of what Christ has done, who is there to be buried in Christ and awaits that resurrection on the last day? Well, I think a lot of that, um, it starts when you're providing pastoral care to a family, either as someone is dying or they have died. Uh, most pastors listening, when they go to the bedside of someone who's dying, um, they know what the person needs to hear, which are the promises of Christ, of hope and consolation. And the people that are also there in that room, um, children, the spouse, other family or friends that are rolling in and out of a room, they need to hear of what Christ promises to this person who's dying. And so a lot of this is on the front end that in this very uh, you know tender and personal pastoral care that's being given at the deathbed, people need to hear that. And then when the person dies, very often it's been my pastoral practice and probably yours and most of our pastoral hears too. You're, you meet with the family uh, after the uh, funeral arrangements are being made or as they're being made, and you talk about the funeral service. I always go through the rite and the hymnal. I show them uh, what exactly is going to happen. And we talk about uh, the Bible passages that we're going to uh, choose and read and how they have very direct bearing upon the life and faith of the deceased. Now, of course, this varies. Some of our parishioners we know a lot better. Uh, some we don't know as much. Um, but whether we know them a lot or know them a little, we want to have a preaching that is specifically tied to them. Because if you don't, it, it becomes, uh, how would you say, like almost an academic exercise. You're just kind of preaching facts. Uh, of course, I'm not going to say the gospel is just a mere fact, but it's you're just it's kind of wooden. You know what I mean? If you're just saying, well, Jesus died for uh, Joe and Jesus lives for Joe, uh, I mean, you could preach that same sermon for anybody, but you want to preach it for this person who is right here, right now, and the very specific ways in which God uh, gave this person life and strengthened this person throughout life 
uh, through times of great joy, perhaps times of great sorrow, um, how God gave perseverance uh, through uh, suffering. And so if you, if you don't do that, you rob the hearers of the real comfort they need that is directed toward that had been directed towards this individual's life and now uh, is directed towards them as God did really keep this person faithful unto death. And it, sh- it shows all the hearers that God's promises really get specific and individual yeah. when they are applied to people. It's not, yeah, Jesus died for everybody. Yep, he absolutely did. But he died for this person. And his promises to this person were very, very specific and were lived out in this person's various callings, mm-hmm. um, the places where he lived, the places where he worked, his family, all that kind of thing. It sounds like... And I think it's, it's what we need to install that yeah. and, and, keep, and keep talking about it. Yeah, it, it sounds like what you're talking about here is that you know, just as the Holy Spirit, when he inspired the authors of the Old and New Testaments, used the personality of the the writers themselves in order to convey and communicate what the Spirit wanted said, so also the Holy Spirit continues to use the the, the personality and the, the uniqueness of each individual. And while we could, as you said, have kind of a, a, a find and replace kind of sermon where we just find and replace the name and, and, and preach that, that's really not kind of doing the pastoral work of this is how these promises had life in this particular individual. That's right. Uh, I think of uh, one sermon that I preached at a funeral probably about 20 years ago uh, in my first parish where the person who died, uh, she'd never married. She was godmother to, I don't know, it seemed to me like half of the children in the congregation. You know, I, I actually mentioned the sermon. I think, I think she was, what, godmother to like 15 of you here today? Yeah. Um, she was just one of these faithful women who loved children, uh, loved to confess Jesus. Um, and if I had just said, yeah, it, not mentioned these things, everybody there knew exactly uh, how she lived her life. And they, they came there to thank, to thank God for what she did and to not talk about it. It, it would have been, a, it would have been an, can you say an injustice to her faith? Now I, I want to say before I go on that, and I want to direct our hearers to the general notes of our funeral service. It's important to say uh, it, it's in the Lutheran service book, uh, altar book on page 391. There's some very important notes here that we need to keep in mind. Uh, the first is uh, note eight. A eulogy is not in the best Christian tradition. An obituary may be read which focuses on the gospel promise of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ our Lord, and not on the good deeds of the deceased. Now, that's an important statement, and it's helpful that uh, eulogies are not the best thing for us, and obituaries are good. 
uh, which you might want to read. But we do need to focus on the gospel promises of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. It's, but it's this thing that uh, I would like to push back a little bit, and this is something that I've been thinking about for the last few years, that we do need to have a focus, not the main focus, but a focus on the good deeds of the deceased because of that passage we referenced before from uh, Revelation 14 and of its great exhortation to godly living for the people that are left behind. We do need to talk about this. And we do need to think about how we craft a sermon so that the gospel promises that the person received and lived in and that the people there need to hear are central. But at the same time, we can show forth the good works which the person has done and then exhort the people that are there to follow that kind of Christian faith and life. So maybe it would be helpful to define kind of what the Christian tradition means by a eulogy. How is that typically done in the rest of the world? And what are we, what is that note trying to help us avoid doing? I think the, I think the note is very helpful for parish pastors to just simply crack the book. And uh, I, I'm sure you do, but I get requests from time to time at funerals for someone to come forth and quote, say a few words. <laughs> and oftentimes, uh, in my experience, when I've uh, seen it done, uh, those few words end up not being a few words, end up being a lot of words. <laughs> and they are oftentimes completely removed from the Christian's faith and life. A lot of it uh, might be uh, about just fun things the person did, which are certainly true. And a lot of jokes and funny stories about the person, which aren't always out of place either. But the focus then is is not on the life of faith. It's just on the life of the person. Of course, the, the life of faith can't be separate from the person, but oftentimes uh, in those kind of eulogies, it is. So we want to avoid uh, frolic <laughs> and stand-up comedy in the church. Right. We also we also want to avoid uh, any kind of over sentimentalism too, mm. and that's difficult to avoid. Yeah. And so you, we want to avoid it. I, I think it's very helpful for uh, pastors to be able to have open mic time at the dinner, luncheon following, and that's what I encourage people to do. We don't always people don't always take me up on it. But if they ask, I just say, no, it's just not in our tradition. And we need to, I do say that here is where uh, Christ is extolled, uh, the gospel's preached, and we have lots of time to talk about, you know, funny stories and happy things and memories uh, at the funeral lunch. And we can sit at the mic and do all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's, it's the avoidance of um, either frivolity or sentimentalism. And we don't want either one of those things. So it sounds like you're advocating here, and and really what the altar book note is advocating is there's a time and a place for that kind of frivolity and that kind of sentiment, but we should avoid that being the focus of the sermon and of the church service. The funeral right. service and the sermon are there to point us to 
not just what Christ has done for all people, but specifically what he has done for this individual and how that has uniquely borne witness, been borne witness throughout his life. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think uh, this makes our funeral preaching uh, more, well, I'll use the word vibrant. <laughs> right. If you and know, difficult. It, it, you're actually... <laughs> And, and much more difficult, too, because it's true. Some people, like I mentioned before, some people really know a lot better in the congregation than others. Mm-hmm. It's just how life is. Some people are very active. Uh, they serve on boards and committees. Some people, uh, they don't. And that could be because of their own gifts, their own uh, abilities, their own time. Um, and so some people, just pastors, get to know better than others. But I guess that's an exhortation for us all to get to know our people really well and keep on uh, being part of their lives, so our funeral sermons can be easier to preach. Mm-hmm. But when you uh, let's just let's just say, for example, you have someone who um, you know quite well. They've been very active in church. You've been a part of their family. Uh, they've invited you for things. Those kind of sermons can be very difficult for the pastor. On, and on the one hand, because uh, maybe he knows too much, mm-hmm. and that is, while we want to extol the good, uh, pastors, of course, also know and are familiar with the bad, uh-huh. which is where the gospel promises come in so great for this particular sinner who was redeemed by the blood of Christ that you get to preach. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's always of comfort to uh, the family because they know, they know their grandpa's sins more than even you do. <laughs> right. Although he might come to confession and say a few to you from time to time to have them absolved, uh, they know a lot more about him. Than, so they need mm-hmm. to hear what Christ did for him. And then they also need to hear, again, by way of example, here's how he lived his faith and how you know he loved you and how he showed it uh, in his good confession and his sacrifice for the church and the time he spent reading the Bible um, and the way in which and that's why you can actually be very personal in the sermon and the way in which he did good things for me and the, the pastor's family. One, uh, one dear saint I buried about three years ago, he loved baseball and he would, and he loved going to the little league fields. And what he would do is uh, after practice or after games, he'd drive around and see if there were any balls just laying around that <laughs> the teams forgot to pick up. And he'd pick them up and he'd bring them over to our house so that Elijah and I have some extra balls around. You know, just, <laughs> just great, you know. He'd always just think like, ah, you know, I need some more baseballs over there. And he'd bring them by. And uh, it, it seems very small. You know, he's picking up baseballs and dropping them by the pastor's house. But it really is, you know, he, he really cared. He knew that my kid loved baseball and he wanted to provide for the pastor's kid. Right. Those are good works. They're really wonderful things. And our lives, which are sanctified by God, they bring forth, they did in him and this man, this glorious good work about thinking about his pastor's kid. And pastors are the recipients of lots of that kind of stuff by these faithful people. And, and this is part of, you know, exhorting toward godly living when you're in a, a this, there's two things that I think about all the time in funerals now. How do I, uh, there's one thing about caring for the family, but I think 
so much more. There are all these people that come to funerals that are complete unbelievers and they have no idea what's going on. And this was the case at the last funeral I did a couple weeks ago where there was one young man uh, who was in the back of church. I had never seen him before. He's wearing a ball cap. Uh, and the service is just about to start. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I'm going to go talk to him about taking his ball cap off, which I did. And but I, I'm th- why I'm thinking about this, I'm, I, I'm what's going on in my mind is, I don't think this guy's ever been to a church in his life. <laughs> Maybe he had, but it was just kind of the sense I had. So when I went up and talked to him, I said, "Hey, I'm Pastor Ball. How's it going?" And I asked him, you know, kind of briefly something, you know, connection to who. And I said, um, "The church is a different place than a lot of places." And, you know, you can, and I said, you can kind of tell by I'm wearing these different kind of clothes. And one of the things that we don't do uh, for guys is wear hats inside. I said, would you mind taking it off? He said, oh, I didn't know that. No problem. So I bring that up because you have all these people that are gathering. And for the most part, you're going to have a lot of members of your church at a funeral. They're going to have a lot of people that don't know anything about anything. Right. And you have the chance in your funeral sermon to preach Christ crucified who has now been raised from the dead and what that proclamation meant to this person and then what it also means for you that like this guy was wearing the hat and then how the faith which the person was given caused them to live the life they did which obviously brought you know this guy to church that day Mm -hmm. because he had some connection to the so I'm always thinking about that in my funeral sermons now. I got to preach to the family. I got to preach uh, Christ uh, based upon a text of scripture. I got to preach to these people on the fringes. And I got, I have to extol the reason why that those other fringe people are there, whether they knew them from work, um, extended family, but they knew that person and they pr- they probably are there because they knew the person in a good way. If they just absolutely despise the person, they're probably not going to come to the funeral. Right. So I want to, th- I'm thinking about, okay, this person lived this way because of Christ and the spirit filled this person with the gospel and the fruit of the gospel was born out. And I want everybody else who's there to have the same kind of faith, life, death, and then resurrection too. And I get to preach them on that day about all these good things. And so I want to I want to extol uh, the labors of the people as I extol the labor of Christ on that person's behalf. That makes sense? So, yeah, totally. Um, so to what extent then does, you know, preaching the preaching the law of God come up in a sermon. Sometimes you might hear, like, you don't need to preach the law at a sermon because you've got the dead body. Um, well, if you're thinking, I, I if disagree you're thinking, with that completely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, if, you, if you're keeping I, in mind the, you know, not just talking about or reaching and preaching to the family, but also to those whose life was affected by this person's life, uh, what, what role then does the law of God in preaching at a funeral play. Yeah. So I, I think um, I have another example from a, fu- a funeral I preached a long time ago, uh, which was really great because 
the, the person um, had been under, had been excommunicated. And everybody knew why. I mean, this was a very public thing and uh, very scandalous. And I had read from the agenda the Declaration of Excommunication of the Divine Service on Sunday. And this was no secret. And then God, by his grace, used the word of God that was proclaimed to this individual uh, to work repentance and faith and then restoration of the church. It was absolutely glorious. And very soon afterward, the person died. And it was one of the most wonderful funerals you could ever preach. But at the time, uh, because a lot of that sin was still very raw, uh, you had to kind of talk about it. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem at at the time was before you know the sin was kind of dealt with uh, by uh, proper church discipline it was kind of an open secret and so at the funeral sermon i mentioned the kind of the general um well the fact that the sin that was there had become everyone's because no one did anything for a long time mm. and so it was it was pointing out sin of real people that were sitting there in the room and then you know what joy there was in the great reconciliation and forgiveness that finally came about it was awesome but in the funeral sermon i took the occasion to to actually point that out there was a real issue here Mm -hmm. that you were a part of and i got a lot of attaboys from (laughs) from the congregation after that one it's like yeah this is what we really need to hear everybody needed to hear this such as one example, but I think, yeah, the reality of sin and its consequence are there in the dead body that's present. And I think it's always a very powerful uh, preaching at a funeral sermon. How, how the text might lead you to preach uh, God's law is always very important. But mm-hmm. the verbalization of the fact that the wages of sin is death, and here you see it, and the same is true for you. You are a sinner, even as this person uh, was, and you need the redemption of Christ's blood that this person received. And if you don't, then there is only uh, judgment. I mean, right? People are going to be re- people are going to be receptive to talking about death when they're there at a funeral, and think everybody. You, you certainly would hope, and you try to leverage this in your preaching that. People are considering their own mortality when they're there at a funeral. Now, some people aren't, but you got to try and make them right. with what you say. Mm-hmm. And the specifics of that uh, might vary from you know funeral sermon to funeral sermon, how you're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it, it really, these are the opportunities you have with a very captive audience to really give the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. So how did you come to this conclusion about preaching funerals in this manner? Is Are there any guides in our Lutheran heritage to this kind of preaching? Or is this something that just worked itself out as you spent more time with the people of God and among the brothers in your district and circuit and discussion that you end up saying, look, maybe... A, a a hard line of saying it's not about you is not really the way forward in in preaching funerals. Well, speaking about 
uh, sermons uh, from our fathers in the past. I think a very important one that you might want to read is Bugenhagen's sermon at Luther's funeral. Because he sure does extol <laughs> the man who's dead <laughs> right there in the casket. Uh, and does give uh, great comfort. And of course he uses uh, famously um, uh, Revelation 14, how, which is, of course is the epistle for uh, Reformation coming up, that he's this angel who's flying with the eternal gospel. So I think, yeah, if you want to read a funeral sermon that's extolling the deceased, just Google Bugenhagen's funeral sermon for Luther and a zillion different translations will pop up and and you'll find it. Uh, And that will, (laughs) there's a dear father in the faith who will help you how to preach that way. But I think Mm -hmm. it was just, for the most part, it has been, I think I've kind of always preached this way at funeral sermons. Okay. And it's just been the last few years that I have thought about it a bit more uh, and started talking about it a bit more. And I think also it's helpful for you to go uh, as a pastor to the funeral sermons, if you can, uh, funerals of your deceased, uh, of, of, of members of your congregation, their deceased families, family members who might not be Missouri Synod or going somewhere else. Yeah. And get a sense of what gets preached at funerals outside mm-hmm. of our communion fellowship. That is very instructive. I went to one several years ago where it was very uh, formulaic in that uh, it was a Christian funeral sermon. But there was all, nearly nothing of the person at all. And I, I left coming back with, man, like, that's kind of empty. And then I've been to one where, or maybe more than one, where it was completely Christless and it was all sentimental stories about the person that the preacher had got from meeting with the family for you know a couple sit-downs before the funeral. I'm like, well, that can't be it either. So I, I think I've always preached this way, but I've just been more attuned to it the last few years. And, and and really thought about how uh, my, my funeral preaching, and I, it probably, Jason, is I've been more attuned to it just because of the antinomian nonsense in, an, in our midst, where you know, the, the aversion to preaching the law and the aversion to exhorting to get, got good works, okay, well, um, people are doing good works, and they've done good works because God has told them these are good things for them to do. Shouldn't we talk about that a little bit more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that probably ha- that, that certainly plays a part in it too. So you had mentioned earlier that sometimes it's very easy uh, to preach in this way because you know them very well, or, or maybe it can be difficult because you know them very well. Uh, but what happens when you don't know them well? What sort of questions, if any at all, do you ask the family as you're meeting with them to try to get to know them better? Sometimes, you know, you're a new pastor in a new place, or sometimes you are uh, covering for a brother who's uh, away. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, they're a new member, or or sometimes, as, yep. as you mentioned, they are just not as involved with all the other various activities uh, that are possible at church, and so you see them just periodically. 
what sort of questions do you ask the family to to be able to get a better sense of of what you do know in order to incorporate those things? Yeah, I, I think you have to ask really leading questions when you're meeting with them. Tell me things like, tell me about uh, what they loved about Jesus. You know, tell me about how, uh, can you give me an example of how they really showed their love for God mm-hmm. in your life? And you hear all kinds of interesting things like, uh, well, I just remember when it was so important that they'd go to church. Like it was so important that they always had to be at church. You know, that's really a good thing. Like they told their family, like, I really need to go to church today. Mm-hmm. And that's something like, boy, they, they wanted to be in the house of the Lord. That's really great. So, you know, you, you ask questions like that. Tell me about, and, and of course, you're going to say, tell me about your favorite things about the deceased. And you're going to, mm-hmm. you, you really have to be a pastoral investigator when you mm-hmm. go over to someone's house you know, the deceased home, or they come into your study and tell me about them. And you'd be surprised how people will start say all kinds of things that are really yeah. interesting that you just didn't know. And you can use uh, those things um, to craft your sermon as an examples of how God was active in this person's life and that the people, because, you know, when, when, when the scripture says their works do follow them, they follow along not only into eternity as we give thanks to God uh, for the people uh, that he has taken into the glory, but they follow along in our own lives. So if one of the things someone tells you they just wanted to go to church, you'd follow up, you know what? And you're saying, using this in the sermon, you know, you know, Joe here said that, you know, grandma always just wanted to go to church. You know what? You all should follow your grandma's example. Right. Why aren't you? And that, now that's some powerful preaching, right? right? Why aren't you following her example and going to church? <laughs> and then you got him. Yeah. And you should be here. Good. You should follow her example. You should hear the word of God. Be like your grandma. And boy, I think, I think that's really a powerful way to preach and to use the person's life um, to get at the lives of your ears. Uh, what pitfalls sh- should we try to avoid w- when doing this? Uh, is there anything that you well, really... We have to, yes. Yeah. You, you have to avoid uh, making the... Okay. You have to avoid uh, frivolity. Now, sometimes I think uh, using a bit of humor in a funeral sermon is not bad because I, I usually tend not to... Uh, not jokes, but to kind of say the obvious about a person that everybody knows mm-hmm. that it kind of, I don't want to say cuts the ice. I mean, that's not a good way to talk about a, a sermon, but it, if, if people are, are really grieving and, and you can see the pain in their faces and the tears rolling down their cheeks as you begin your funeral sermon to, to mention some part of the great joy of life that God gave to this person that they can remember and think about and put a smile on their face isn't such a bad thing because joy is a gift from God and he calls us to rejoice in all circumstances and the gifts that God gave to that person that did, you know, that were examples of the joy of Christ, they follow them too. And that can be imparted in a sermon so that someone is not, I mean, people can, as you know, Jason, people can just fall into terrible despair. Mm-hmm. 
when they grieve. And for you to use a little bit of humor or joy is not a bad thing, but it, we're not, we are not stand-up comedians. Right. That we got to avoid that. You get a sense we, of we that, have, don't you, in the actual right where it's at, at the graveside saying, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Uh, kind of that. Right. Frival- that's not frivolous, but that kind of exuberance. It's, of it's, the, it's a mockery. The of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're, we're, we, we are victors over death as is this person in Christ. And, and we can, we can mock death just like St. Paul does. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I, we want, you want, you do want to avoid though, um, making the entire, well, that's what we're saying, making the entire focus of your funeral sermon, the person and not the person and work of Christ, which is applied to the person that has right. got to ring true and, and be clear. We have got to preach the resurrection of the Son of God on the third day, right? And and how that makes a difference in the eternal reality of this person and the resurrection of the flesh for this person and for everybody else who's listening. We've got to preach that, and so uh, you don't want you don't want to miss the mark yeah. by not preaching the work of Christ. So, any final thoughts? Any parting uh, advice to those who may be listening to this? Yeah, I, I think, uh, don't be afraid to talk about the person in your funeral sermon and the great things that God did in, in and through that person's life. And don't be afraid, as necessary, if the person um, had great trouble in life. I mean, that's something I, I did mention about that one sermon where the person had been under the ban and then was excommunicated. But don't be afraid to, to actually talk about the real forgiveness that this person received appropriately and how wonderful that is too how god did redeem this person mm-hmm. and bring them back from uh, darkness and sin because right. people know that too and that is very powerful preaching and because there's going to be as i said people there who are in the same state of affairs and you have this glorious opportunity in church to preach to them now i do want to give a warning uh the sainted uh, Professor Warnick, who was our uh, pastoral theology teacher at St. Louis when I was there, he said, don't be a burying Sam. <laughs> that was his title for, you know, you'll bury anybody under the sun. <laughs> uh, just because, you know, the funeral director calls you, well, you do a funeral. Uh, you know, we're talking about people that are under our charge, under our pastoral care, and uh, their members, uh, faithful members of our congregation. That's who we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the true saints of God who lived the life of faith that was given to them by the Spirit, trusted in Jesus Christ, died in him, uh, rest from their labors, uh, their works follow them, and they will be raised up on the last day to everlasting glorious life. Funeral sermons are great, and I don't want to preach them, obviously, but when you get the chance you got to preach the whole counsel of God and give such great comfort and rejoice in the good works that God did in and through uh, this saint that we put to rest. Well, thank you, Ben, for your time and, and your insight on this. Uh, it, it is very helpful to hear from seasoned pastors with years of experience in providing pastoral care uh, and then also 
pastoral care in in these kinds of situations uh, so that we can continue to sharpen ourselves by by your own experiences. So thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Jason.